The Veterans Report is sponsored by James Cannon. Welcome to the Veterans Report, the region's only show dedicated to those who have served our country. We have the latest news and information on resources available to veterans, including health care, education, employment tips, local volunteer organizations, and more. To those who have served, those who are serving, and to those who will, we salute you. And now, the host of the Veterans Report, Jim Cannon. Hey there, and welcome back to the Veterans Report. Thanks for tuning in. We want to give a quick shout out, uh, not only to 620 AM KHB, but also our partners at WTF Nation Radio. So if you have a chance, check them out. Uh, we have a we have a pretty action-packed show today. Uh, right at the top of the hour, we have our guest, uh, Carl Higby. Carl, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Um, just by way of background, uh, and, and please let me know if I go far afield here. Uh, Carl Higby is a former Navy SEAL, Petty Officer First Class. Uh, you joined the Navy. You enlisted in 2005. Uh, left, as a, left as an E-6, you deployed twice to Iraq uh, in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. You're also the author of a couple of books, um, pretty well-known books, and uh, you've appeared on a number of news stations, including Fox and CNN, as an analyst and commentator. So, Pretty much sums it up, yeah. Outstanding. I was a, I was a presidential appointee in there somewhere too. In, <laughs> I was, you know what? I was scrolling down. Uh, yes, there's a lot more to you. Um, yeah, you served on the, uh, the the presidential appointee. You served on the Trump team um, for uh, what about a year? Yep. Outstanding. I was actually the first the first surrogate for the campaign back day one. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I was an original MAGA. <laughs> Did you get the free hat? I have tons of free ads. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but I just want to let everybody know that you are, you're not exactly a novice when it comes to radio. Uh, you had your own radio program for uh, a, a long time. Oh, yeah. Well, if you read CNN's headlines, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll leave that one alone. Um, so you, I mean, you're an outspoken guy. You're very opinionated. Uh, you've made some strong statements in the past, but we're not here to talk about all that. I'll let other people uh, try to try to, you know, get in the street fight with you. I'm here with you because you put something on Twitter not too long ago, and I think it was related to an interview that you did with the Washington Examiner in which you pitched, and this is what, this is what really hooked me. You pitched the idea of expanding the GI Bill to help veterans succeed as business owners. In other words, the, the GI Bill, and your, your idea, your, your notion was to expand the GI Bill to such a point that they would offer a $50,000 sort of startup grant to veterans, right? Yeah. And, and you know, that $50,000 number was, a, a, you know, just something I was throwing at the wall to see what sticks. But the, the issue right now for the listeners out there who don't know how the GI Bill works, you serve some time in the military, then you come out and you have this GI Bill that you can access once you're out, which gives you a four-year degree paid for, including living stipends and things like that. And uh, potentially could cost the taxpayer, you know, $100,000, $200,000. So, um, one thing that I, I had talked with a number of people about, including a number of veterans, was that why not? I mean, there's tons of veterans who come out and like, let, let's be honest, like, you know, John, who joins the Marines out of high school, is 17, 18 years old. He goes to battle. He goes to war. He spends, let's say, eight years in the military. He comes out. He's been in charge at that point of, you know, let's say he was an enlisted or an officer, doesn't matter. He was in charge of significant people under duress in combat, has life and death decisions, and he's in charge of millions of dollars of equipment. This guy is not exactly, 
going to go back to the classroom with a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds and, and learn something that's applicable to life skills. But there are a lot of veterans who are extremely entrepreneurial. I mean, the U.S. soldier has out-innovated all of our adversaries, you know, going back to the atomic bomb and before. And that's how we won. I mean, going back to the Revolutionary War, we didn't out-fight the British. We, out, we literally out-innovated them. And that is something the American soldier has. So why not unleash that rather than stick them in a classroom and say, this is the box that you have to operate in and this is how you do it. Why don't you say... Well, instead of the hundred, two hundred thousand dollars it costs to educate you in a degree that you probably won't use or won't need, why don't we give you a fifty thousand dollar grant to open a business? Now, this would save the taxpayer a ton of money, but it would allow the veteran to stop worrying about at least you know the initial payroll, the initial loan, or the initial startup. I know I, I look. I've started three businesses. I started them with all less than twenty grand each and sold them for big, big bucks. So this is something that would change the battlefield as far as uh, veterans coming back from war and opening their own businesses. No, absolutely, and I, I, I agree. With that. I, I have been a big advocate of the GI Bill. Um, I, I enlisted twice. I was once I was in during Desert Storm, and then I was in during uh, Iraqi Freedom. Um, and, and I can tell you, the first time I came out, I ended up paying for my own degree. I think the GI Bill is one of the best investments, not f- for veterans or the military, but anywhere in the country. I mean, the return right. on the, the thing is amazing. And you mentioned the savings, the advantage to taxpayers. Get a little more into that. So, you know, I, let's say we'll call, we'll, we'll call for round numbers, we'll call it 150 grand to educate, because when you're going through your GI Bill, you get a living stipend, which is a comparable to your, what they call a uh, basic allowance for housing, BAH, in the military, which, depending on where you're living, could be 1,200, could be 3,500 if you're living in Manhattan. Um, so, that is on top of them paying the tuition for whatever university you're going to. And if you're going to Yale, that's a very expensive tuition. So you think about you start adding these things up, you get north of $200,000 for a degree for the GI Bill. Give a, give a guy with a business plan, you could have a counselors. You could have, I mean, you could actually have uh, people out there. There are companies that will sit down and help veterans innovate new designs. There's incubator programs out there. Enlist the help of these things along with the TAPS program, which is the program you go through when you get out of the military, Say, I want to sit down with a, a business counselor. They'll help you write a business plan, a you know, profit loss, spreadsheets, all those things. They'd be able to get you in front of the right people and maybe other competitors in the industry They would even sit down and talk with you. And then they give you a $50,000 check and say, go get them. So now you've also, um, you also highlighted something in that, that interview, and I want to bring this out. There have been uh, similar bills or similar legislation that's been proposed in the past but the key difference between that and what you threw out there is that those were loans, whereas this would just be a, a straight grant. Right. So here's the issue. I mean, like, look, everybody who's owned a business understands the need to make payroll, the need to pay back loans. And, like, honestly, like, one of my most successful businesses, I started out of my garage while I was still active duty, mind you. It was a, uh, a tree service. And within a matter of uh, two years, we had 22 guys on the, on the force. And, but the problem was, is I bought every piece of equipment. I had to go take a loan. I paid back. I go take out a loan. I paid back. Imagine if you didn't have to pay off the loan on your first piece of equipment. I mean, if you're owning, you know, to own a tree service, we'll just use this as an example. You have to have a chipper. A chipper costs ten to $30,000 for a, a used or lower end one. So if once you have that though, that takes you from, you know, a, 
$500 a week company to a $5,000 a week company almost instantly. Imagine if you didn't have to pay off that piece of equipment. You could start in, you could hire more people right away, you could expand into other areas. This is a job creator, hands down. The amount of money that will come back into the economy via taxes and revenue would be far greater than just showing out some degree for, I don't know, gender studies or whatever kids are getting these days. No, and no, and that, and that makes a uh, that, that's a really good point because a lot, to your point, a lot of small businesses do suffer uh, and and fail because they can't they can't keep up with the payments. Next thing they know, they're underwater. So right, yeah, yeah. That, and you miss one payment, it just snowballs. I mean, it's, even though like the payment on something like that could be four, five, six, maybe even eight hundred dollars, but keep in mind, you know, in in a lot of areas of the country, you can get a laborer, you can get a, a, a you know a lower skilled worker for eight hundred dollars a week. So you, if you think about that, you would be in, literally employing an entire person. So, you know, I, I don't understand, understand why this would have any, I mean, we, we haven't had any pushback against it, but uh, aside from the, the regular trolls on Twitter who just don't like anything I say, but you have people saying, well, why would you just hand veterans a $50,000 check? And I, I made the point to answer one of these guys, and the guy said to me, well, you know, that's basically just giving $50,000 to a, to a military service member over what, why shouldn't regular civilians get that? I'm like, because that guy joined up for $19,000 a year to go potentially take a bullet for your right to be able to say that. So I have zero problem with a guy coming out of service after 4, 8, 10, 12, 20 years and giving him another $50,000 check and saying, have at it. Well, and, and again, I mean, and I hear what you're saying. Again, if if somebody's going to invest in the – when I did it before, I had to invest $100 a month, I think, for a year. And then when I got out, I mean, it paid off 100 times my initial investment. Um, okay. So would it work – I mean, have you gotten that far in the weeds in terms of details? Would it work the same way in essence? No, I, I, what I think it would be is you would sit down with a career counselor and you obviously have to give it approved because, look – and this goes into another thing. I wrote another piece on PTSD – uh, but where there is financial incentive, there will always be fraud. It doesn't matter if it's veterans. It doesn't matter if it's nuns. Someone somewhere will find a financial incentive, and they will, they will create fraud. It, it, it's human nature. So you'd have to have some vetting process, and I haven't gotten this much into the weeds and staffing and things like that, but right now veterans go through a TAPS program, which is the Transition for Active Duty Personnel. Like when I went through it in 2012, I went through it in Norfolk, Virginia, and I was sitting in a room with 400 people, and there was a woman teaching us how to interview in the private sector. And this woman, mind you, spent three years on active duty as a yeoman, so she was a paper pusher for the military, which is fine. She served her time. But then she comes out, and now she's teaching a course of people transitioning from active duty into the private sector. And I raised my hand, and I said, excuse me, ma'am, you know, this is this 24-year-old woman reading off of a PowerPoint. And I said, ma'am, do you, do you think you're qualified to teach this course? She goes, well, I've done all the, the, the PowerPoints and the seminars and things. I said, you've never worked in the private sector, yet you're sitting here teaching people how to interview in the private sector. Why don't you go out in town, find 50 CEOs of small companies, bring them in here and say, I have the best, most dedicated, hardest working, intelligent, and active employees that you will ever have. You want to go pick some? That's what I would do. But that's, that's not the innovation that's being used right now to help transition veterans. And I think we'd be much better served if you brought people into that TAPS program and said, who wants to start a business? Hands go up. You guys go over here. You talk to these people to teach you a business plan, profit loss, et cetera, et cetera. You know, even a government compliance course on how to learn about taxes, because even though now it's less complicated, it still is. That would be a far better investment of time than a four-year degree for someone who's been in the military for 20 years. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
And and this also comes on the heels, um, and, and I'm sure you saw this. There was a VA report that came out, I think, uh, the same week that you did that interview, uh, that said <clears throat> about it's estimated about 4% fewer vets or dependents used the GI Bill last fiscal year. Uh, it's a, about a 34,000 student drop, according to the most recent annual figures provided by the Department of Veterans Affairs. So people, by and large, uh, vets, when we're talking about that, um, aren't using this as as much as they used to. And, you know, in the article, VA says, well, it's tough to pin down why. You touched on the fact that a lot of people who are serving uh, are already have that education. So they're they're kind of they're kind of left in the lurch when it comes to, to squeezing the most out of their benefits. True. And the other thing, too, is, you know, I mean, like, while you're active duty listeners, you know, as well as anyone, you can do, uh, or sorry, active duty soldiers, you can do tuition assistance, which doesn't touch your GI Bill. So you can actually go to school for up to, like, I think it's nine credits a semester on active duty, and it will be paid for by the government, not touching your GI Bill. So a lot of people get their degrees in the military. Look, I have no degree. I I dropped out of college after 9-11, joined the military. And I went back in 2012, I went, or actually it was 2015, I went back and decided that I was going to get my degree in communications. So I owned at this point a communications company. I had, you know, multiple clients from across the world, from major Fortune 500 companies even. And I sat in the back of this class with a bunch of 18-year-olds, and I was being told that I didn't understand what a communication plan was, a written communication plan. I was like, I do this for a living. And I went to the dean of students and said, look, this is what I do for a living. I think your teaching is a little off. She goes... We're going to teach it this way, and if the rest of the world wants to do it their way, that's their problem. This is what a lot of veterans see because, you know, a 19-year-old kid doesn't have the same life experience. They're happy to learn by the book and go by the book, but the problem is, like, my wife's a banker. She has a history degree. She learned everything on the job. We have learned on the job. So when you stick us in a classroom taught by a book that may or may not be up to date by a teacher that may or may not – by the way, my teacher in that point was a tenured professor who had never spent a day in the private sector – doing any type of communication work. So this is the problem. You have a veteran who's highly skilled in his field, on-job training, has been in the real world. You have a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds in the classroom, and they just it doesn't jive. I'm not saying that they're, the 18, 19, 20-year-olds go in the wrong direction. I'm not saying the teacher is a bad person. But I am saying that the veteran, it is very difficult for them to succeed in a classroom environment like that. No, and that's, that is something I've heard time and again uh, from fellow vets is there is a huge even even if, if it's chronologically uh, a relatively small distance or gap between uh, a regular college student and a vet, maybe three, four, or five years, there's a huge gap in terms of life experience and maturity uh, between, like you said, that 19 or 20-year-old kid who hasn't seen the world and somebody else who might have been a platoon sergeant six months ago. Exactly. And, and that's the issue, too. And, and you know, the, the transition, I, you know, I talk a lot about the transition for veterans, and this is something that I've aimed my sights on. Um, and I'll be quick because I want to get into PTSD a little bit, but I, I have said time and time again, the transition is the hardest part for a veteran. Essentially, you're a fish swimming in the ocean when you're in the military. And a veteran walking out of the military with no actual transition experience or nobody to really help him out and hold his hand and get him back in is like taking a fish out of water and say, hey, I need you to walk now. Stop swimming. Because it's that stark of a difference. Because what you're doing, you know, when I came out, my whole family is in the finance industry. So I'd figured out, well, I'd interview in the finance industry. So I walked into a certain company and it was a very well-known hedge fund that my friend had gotten me an interview at. And they said, well, what have you been doing for the last nine years? I said, well, I shot bad guys in the face. They said, well, we don't do that here at this company. So maybe you should, I mean, but 
it's that's oversimplified. Sure. But that is what a lot of veterans see, and it, it, it's very unfortunate because I looked that guy in the eye and I said, "Look, I don't care what the job is. It could be numbers, it could be spreadsheets, it could be client meetings. I will go out there and I will outwork every single person in this company because that is my mindset. Because if I didn't do that for the last nine years, I would be dead. And that is not transferable to a resume. So it's, if if you gave veterans the rope of fifty grand or so. To start their own business with a vetted counselor, watch watch the economic boom. Well, and and uh, I had that discussion with um, who was it? Dan Goldenberg with the Call of Duty Endowment, and they they delved into this employment and looking at veterans, uh, small business growth, underemployment in the veterans community, and we had a long discussion about that. And and I think across the board, I I'm, feel safe saying this: most people agree that veterans, by and large, have a monstrous work ethic relative to their civilian counterparts. And if they're given, like you just said, if they're given the kindling, they'll start the bonfire with it. 100%. Couldn't agree more. And there's a group out there that I, I work with called SEAL Future Fund. And it's comprised of SEALs, and it's mainly for SEALs, but we do take, you know, MARSOC or Army Rangers or SF or things like that. But they have found a way to bridge that gap that is unparalleled. And I, I, it is entirely on their credit, not mine. I'm, I, I work with them and try to help them out where I can. But they are, they do this totally on their own where they have liaised with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of companies across the United States. And it's a great model. And I hope others hear this and reciprocate it and duplicate it and things like that. But if they want, they go to companies to be like, look, we have special operators. We have people who served in SOCOM, uh, in special operations overseas, downrange. They need jobs. They're great workers. They're highly intense guys. Why don't you meet with them? So they started hiring them. They started hiring here and there. They found a, a ridiculously high success rate and they were able to train guys in two three weeks that were normally taking their MBA grads two or three years so they're highly we're highly trainable people and we're putting them you know going into these high profile jobs on Wall Street that normally would have been way out of our league because we didn't have a master's degree from Wharton or Harvard or wherever so these types of programs if you're an employer out there talk to seal future fund if you want to get involved also if you're a special warfare operator Go to that place too. There's a there's a whole bunch of them out there that work for non SOCOM as well for you know generic Army, Marines, Air Force, Navy, whatever it is. Uh, do they have a website that you want to pitch? Uh, I just you'd have to Google Seal just Future. Seal, Seal Future. Fund? Into their website. Okay, cool. Um, I was trying to write that down while you were talking. Uh, so real quick, and then we'll, we'll jump off. We'll jump off this ship onto another one. Is there any legislation teed up? Is there is there language drafted for this? Uh, GI Bill modification, for lack of a better term. There is not. And actually, the website is sealfuturefund.org. Oh. Got it. Um, there, there's nothing that, to my knowledge of that. And, you know, that's why we push it hard. I think we got over, you know, between all the shares and everything like that, I think we, we, we touched about 5 million people on Twitter, uh, 5 million interactions on that. So, I mean, it's getting some support, right? Yo, know, it's it, it got huge support. I mean, we got some major names to uh, to get behind it and start talking about it. So, we're hoping uh, we're hoping it makes some news somewhere. It would be great to see that thing evolve because I know it would mean a lot to uh, to vets. I mean, we're seeing more and more small businesses, you know, uh, spring up um, with veterans cooperating with each other and, and and tag teaming these things. So it's it's working out nicely. Um, yep. So now you and we're trying to fly through this. Uh, you wanted to touch on. PTSD. I don't even know where to start because when you and I had our conversation, I know where you're headed with this and I know what your views are. But um, so PTSD obviously is a big issue in the veteran community uh, and in the Dude. civilian world. Uh, a lot of a lot of time, a lot of resources being dedicated to that now. 
Um, mm-hmm. what, what is your take, I guess, big picture uh, on PTSD and, and where we are now? So PTSD, and, you know, I, I want to say this, and uh, I say this in the interest of trying to help the problem, not denigrate or, 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 you know, rub anybody the wrong way, but PTSD is one of the largest misdiagnosed, misunderstood, and fraudulent things there is facing our veterans right now. And here's why. There are, right now, right now the DVA doles about $50, $60 billion a year in disability, much of which is towards PTSD. Now, PTSD, I understand that, like, it manifests differently in every single person. I've never experienced it, yet I saw significant combat. Some people see no combat, and they claim PTSD. Now, is there a chance that somebody who didn't see combat that could have PTSD? Sure, no doubt. But the history of it is it used to be diagnosed as a personality disorder, and they were discharging soldiers back at the beginning of the Iraq War for having this personality disorder that they were vetted for prior to coming in, but then they were being separated as a pre-existing condition so they didn't cover it. Then started the PTSD nomer, where they said, look, um, you've seen some combat or you've seen something, we're going we're gonna to diagnose you with this post-traumatic stress disorder that shows that you're stressed out and you can't deal with certain things uh, in certain ways, and we're going to give you a 100% disability rating, which is most disability ratings for PTSD is 100%. Roughly $3,500 tax-free a month for the rest of your life. And what happened as a result of that is it was the quickest thing to get diagnosed. Because it's not a physical injury. It's something that you can manifest you know, in your head, and you can, um, you can treat it through doctor visits, through medications, and things like that. But also people saw that it was not something that you could physically recognize. So... Hence, all these online forums started popping up where it's saying, these are, this is what you need to say to get diagnosed with PTSD. And there are doctors out there. There's, I spoke to one in Arizona a while back that she takes $1,000 of cash under the table, and she will write up the report to the VA, and she has a fast track to the VA somehow. She writes up the report, and veterans can now claim PTSD, get the diagnosis, get the disability. But here's the thing with all the increased numbers. I mean, PTSD has risen 500% in the last five years. But what's gone down is the number of veterans in treatment. It it appears that it's over 70% of veterans that once they're diagnosed with 100% PTSD, they stop seeking any type of mental health because it appears that that mental health counseling was their avenue to the 100%. Now that they have it, they don't need it anymore. This, I mean... They're being told by these counselors, if you claim this, 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 and this, you will get help faster. So it's not entirely the veteran's fault. Some of them are, are making fraudulent statements, but sometimes doctors are literally saying, oh, you have all these problems, claim PTSD, and the doctors will see you faster. So in order to get treatment for something entirely different, they're claiming PTSD. I mean, it's a problem. So, I mean, are, are, I guess it would be tough to pin down which ones are legitimate and which ones aren't, though, right? It is. It's, it's very tough, and that's the problem with it. It's like, look, who am I to say that, you know, Joe Schmo, who was in the Marines or Army, whatever, for five years, doesn't have it? I mean, it's just not my place, but it is up to the veteran. I think the integrity of the veteran out there, and I have friends that I've, I've chewed them out because they know that that's, that's what they're doing. They're taking advantage of the system. They're like, hey, look, bills got to be paid. Look, I'm, I'm 60% disabled for a number of actual physical injuries, not PTSD, but... I have friends that have said, look, bills got to be paid. I'm going to claim PTSD. I'm going to get 100%, and I'm, that's going to be my baseline, my paycheck. 
And that's not the right thing to do because people are consciously doing it. But the other thing is the doctors out there at the VA, the, the VA is so poorly served. It's so underserved, too. They're just, the doctors are saying, well, look, claim PTSD, you'll go to the front of the line, then you can get treated for all your other stuff. So they're being coached to actually claim this. The problem with that is PTSD, once you're diagnosed with it, you know, even though it's illegal to discriminate against it for an employer, employers still see that, and they might pass up on you for, you know, something else because they don't, you know, they don't want the liability because it's got such a negative connotation in today's media that the veteran who's been told to claim that for the sake of his own health by a doctor or whether or not he's trying to commit fraud um, is now on, you know, is now on the chopping block because in some states they even scrutinize gun ownership for people who claim PTSD. Well, it, it seems like there was this huge proliferation of claims as soon as more resources were being diverted or dedicated to the VA to diagnose this stuff. So it was like a, uh, you know, became sort of a circular thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it literally, yeah, it's the, it's the chicken or egg. It's, right. you know, but as more people have, and like I said before, where there is financial gain, there will be fraud. And there is, and it, like, I, I say this, you know, respectfully, veterans out there are, you know, they're, they're not, a, it's become politically unpopular to criticize a veteran for anything. I mean, take John McCain, for example. Okay. And anybody who criticized John McCain was, was jumped on, despite the fact that John McCain had a terrible, terrible military record. You know, he, it, it became unpopular. So with the PTSD thing, everyone's afraid to say, hey, wait, hold on a sec. Let's stop. Let's reevaluate this. Let's get better criteria. They're saying, oh, well, we, you know, we can't, we can't criticize veterans. And I say this with, again, respectfully, veterans are, you know, not all veterans are above board. And it, it's unfortunate. And I know people firsthand who have gone to these counselors and it needs, it needs to be curbed because we're doling out billions upon billions of taxpayer dollars for something that is actually clogging the system. Because when you claim 100% disability, you jump the line for somebody who may need a prosthetic. You jump the line for somebody who may have cancer. You are jumping the line for a lot of these things. And that's hurting other vets who actually need the care. And, and that, that right there is the salient point of the whole thing, is you are taking away from people who really do need it. And Carl, to your point, I mean, I think we've all known vets who have, who have you know, sort of gamed the system, right? Oh, I'm going to go claim X, Y, and Z. And it's like, dude, sure. you, you know full well you had that problem before you went in. Exactly. So they, exactly. they, can, they can paper over it, you know, which is yeah. annoying. Look, when I got out, they, t- they told me, hey, look, claim PTSD. It's your 3500 bucks a month for the rest of your life. I'm like, but I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do we get around that, though? How do we, how do we fix that? Better criteria. I mean, there are ways to test for it, it, but it is it is a mental it is a mental criteria. So you need somebody who really knows this program. And look, there's been doctors out there who've worked for the VA for you know a, a year, two years, ten years, twenty years that have said like, look, PTSD is 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 mal you know it's it's being misused and mistreated. Well, and I think like so many other things in society these days, it waters down the severity of the actual like the legitimate diagnoses, and that can be said mm-hmm. of any, you know, words that are being thrown around Twitter and, and different, because uh, there are some people that, that suffer real trauma in life, and I think those are the folks we need to focus on, but sure, preach another sure. choir with that. Yeah, I mean, if you go online, though, you can just, you Google these uh, forums, and it's just a bunch of people saying exactly what to tell the doctor. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's out there, it's rampant, and it's honestly hurting vets who really need the help, because you're jumping the line. <laughs> that's it's really irritating I, it really is and uh and, and you also brought up vets you know people people being afraid to criticize vets um 
I have not been one of those guys who says, you know, unless you served, you can't, you know, you can't point out somebody's flaws. I think everybody's fair game. Yeah, t- totally. Look, you know, like if, if I'm if I'm dragging ass or you know, if I'm if I'm milking the system, I would hope somebody calls me out, whether they're a veteran or not. I mean, it's, that's how you keep society honest. The basis of Western democracy is accountability. Well, the last time I checked, I, th- I thought we had the arena of of free ideas out there, but well, <sighs> that's it's, a- <laughs> it's on paper, but it's uh, is it in practice? You know, let the audience answer that one. It's a different discussion, right? Yeah, totally. Well, um, we're down to about uh, about a minute here, Carl. Uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna jump off. But um, anything else you want to pitch? Uh, no, you know, I, j- I would just encourage people. You know, I'm I'm actually pushing this new this new thought process right now. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stay as apolitical as possible here. But you know, I'm obviously a huge Trump guy. I've had my issues with the media, but I, I want to encourage every single person who's a Trump person right now to go out and do something nice for a Democrat that you know, because. We, I think this is something that, that needs to catch on, and I'm, I'm starting to say this on a lot of platforms. Go out and do something nice for a Democrat. Beat them with shock and awe. I want, I want them to be surprised because we've got to bring this country back together. That's a, uh, that's a good point to close on, and we definitely need more of that, Carl. We really do, and I appreciate you, you teeing that up. Um, I appreciate you coming on today, and I would love to have you back in the future. Um, we can Hopefully by then we'll have more developments on this GI Bill thing. For sure. You got my number. Yes, sir. Carl Higby, former Navy SEAL, author, and Trump appointee. Carl, thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. And we're going to cut to a quick break and come right back after this. If you want to keep up with the latest in veteran news away from the radio, stop by our website at www.theveteransreport.com. There you'll find news headlines along with links to media outlets around the world. You can also find links to every state's veteran services office. And for you film buffs, there's even a link to a war movie database. We appreciate you stopping by the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theveteransreport. There, like the website, you'll find the latest news and information related to veterans. For you high-speed individuals who want to limit yourself to 140 characters, stop by our Twitter account. It's a great way to find information on veteran organizations throughout the country and what they're up to. You can tweet us by using at the Vets Report. If you'd like to email the show directly, please send us your input, comments, or suggestions to editor at theveteransreport.com. Thanks again for checking out our pages. Thanks for listening, and thank you for supporting our veterans community. Welcome back to the Veterans Report. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, we hope you uh, enjoyed our interview with Carl Higby. He's been uh, he's been an interesting character over the years, and we are definitely going to have him back on to provide some updates now. Uh, continuing with our action-packed show, we have with us Dave Kellick, the Director of Operations uh, at the Robinson Township, Pennsylvania, location for Mission Barbecue. How you doing, Dave? Jim, I'm doing great today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. This is uh, It's pretty cool that you could come on. I know it was kind of rushed in last minute, but uh, you have some news about, let's start with that, about the Robinson Township location for Mission Barbecue. What's going on there? All right, so we're opening our first location in Pittsburgh, Mission Barbecue. Uh, 6541 Steubenville Pike, uh, used to be a Bob Evans and we remodeled the building, um, and we're cooking up some great barbecue. We open Monday at 12 noon with a live national anthem singing, and then we're going to get right to business. 
Now, you, you, that's awesome, Dave, and congratulations on opening that location. Now, you mentioned the national anthem. Uh, tell our listeners what that means at Mission Barbecue. Well, at Mission Barbecue, every day at noon, in all 66 of our restaurants this is, uh, across the country, we stop what we're doing, we stop service, um, and we all stand, salute the flag, and sing the national anthem together. We do that, um, you know, because as a brand at Mission Barbecue, we're committed to support, honor those heroes that, um, have put on the uniform to serve and by giving back to our local police, fire, military, and first responders. Well, and I would I would encourage people to head to your website because I think you're underselling this. You're being very humble, Dave, and I appreciate that. But if you go on, if listeners go on the Mission Barbecue website, you're going to see release after release after release on the news page of, I mean, huge sums of money that you all have given to first responders and veterans organizations. We have. We, uh, we just wrote a check last Tuesday. We were on, uh, our founders were on Fox and Friends. We wrote a check for $913,000 to the USO. Um, that's done through selling a $2 cup in the restaurant, and that's mostly because of the patriotism of our customers and teammates that make that happen. We also work with the Special Operations Warrior Foundation, the Semper Fi Foundation, um, in different parts of the country. Well, th- well, and also... We- yeah, we also contribute to local police and fire. So we just raised the last two days of our charity nights. Um, we raised over four thousand dollars for Moon Township Volunteer Fire Department and the Western PA Police Benevolence Fund. And that's amazing, considering you guys haven't even opened the doors yet. That's right. We like to we like to give we like to give first and have people come back in and. You know, try our great food and just be part of what we do every day. Oh, that's amazing, Dave. Um, so, so people understand you, you all have over forty locations in fifteen states. Uh, uh, actually, yeah, actually, this restaurant's number sixty-six. Oh my god! My numbers were way off. Number sixty-six, location sixty-six. That's, that's correct. And y'all have been around since what? Twenty eleven. We opened our doors on nine eleven of twenty eleven. Uh, we picked that date specifically because, uh, you know, 9-11 changed the world as we know it, and we're trying to do our part to change things back a little bit at a time with a, a national anthem singing and a little bit of great American barbecue. Oh, this is exciting, though. We we need some good barbecue here in Pittsburgh. Uh, well, that, that you're going to have. There's no doubt about that. We work hard at it. All of our food is smoked in-house. No, None of our restaurants have freezers. None of our restaurants have microwaves. We do everything from scratch handcrafted every day. Now, again, you're opening what time on Monday? We open at 12 noon. We're going to have a, normally we open at 11 o'clock, but for our first day, we're going to open at 12 noon. We're going to have an honor guard, a live singing of the national anthem, uh, ribbon cutting, and then we'll be open for business. I, I also want to touch on, I, I don't want to get too far into this because we promised to, to have you guys back so we can get way, way into the details about this stuff. Um, but I want to touch on, you also have a section on the website uh, where you're actively seeking veterans to hire with the company. Uh, we do. We, we would be honored to have uh, any veterans or, uh, you know, even retired police, fire, what anybody that has served be part of our brand. You know, our culture is such that those folks really fit in well with us. And they have a connection to our customers who come in who are veterans and first responders. And, uh, you know, any time we can, and we want to, we want to be able to, uh, to provide an opportunity for, I mean, we're opening restaurants 
uh, like crazy. We're going to open probably another 18 restaurants here this year and then a couple of dozen next year. So we're going to be, you know, we're going to be actively looking for leaders. And the, and the, the veterans um, obviously have leadership skills that, that bode well for us. So um, we encourage them to come out and talk to us or go online and, and, uh, and look for a job or, or give us a call and we can talk through it. Well, and, and don't forget veterans like to eat. <laughs> There's no <laughs> doubt about that. We see a lot of them every day. And the, uh, you know, the, it's so, uh, it's, it's a place where they can come and be comfortable. Um, it's a place where police officers and firemen are, are welcome. Um, we want them to come in and have a place where they can relax and, um, and, Show the respect and honor that they deserve for putting their lives on the line. Well, I got, I got to tell you, Dave, this is uh, this is great news, not just for the area, but for all these different states. Um, I assume you guys are, are looking further down the road, and you're going to expand even more, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Um, it's kind of a ripple effect, you know. We start with the we start with the major markets, and then kind of just move out from there, and state by state, you know, just for supply chains. Um, we have. I'm looking at the list here in Pennsylvania. We have two, four, six. We have uh, eight, nine locations in Pennsylvania, um, and then we have two in Ohio, in the Cleveland market, Cleveland Canton market, with uh, with four more on the way in that market as well. Oh, that's awesome! That is awesome. So, uh, anybody looking for uh, good, wholesome barbecue with a uh, uh, sort of a patriotic flavor, I guess, draped across the meat. Um, <laughs> stop in to Mission That's, Barbecue. I mean, you guys are doing it right. Yeah, man, we're, we're super excited to be here, Jim, and, and I can't tell you uh, how humble it is uh, to talk to veterans and first responders and hear their stories. Um, it's, a, it's a humbling experience every day for all of our teammates, so we're happy to be here. Well, hey, we appreciate everything you're doing for the uh, the first responders and the vets community. Like I said, uh, for anybody listening out there, check out their website and look at the the enormous charity uh, on behalf of this company that's going out there. It's um, it, it's mind boggling the numbers on there, Dave. Yeah, we uh, we we you know we uh, we feel like that's that it's that's something that we should be doing. And all you know, we don't want to take take take. We want to have enough money to build our brand and, and expand and, and turn people on across the country to what we do. Um, and we definitely want to give back to, to our American heroes. Well, well, thank you for all that, Dave. Um, like I said, we're going to have you back on at some point uh, to go more in depth about the entire company story, the menu, uh, the operations, the history, all of it. Uh, but right now, <laughs> I was going to say, I got to let you go uh, smoke some briskets. So you guys will be ready on Monday. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Dave Kellick, Director of Operations with Mission Barbecue. Thanks, Dave. All right, Jim. Have a good day. Take care. So if you are looking, if you're in the area, you're looking for some good barbecue, or if you're in one of those states on their website, uh, one of the 15 states in which Mission Barbecue has opened a location, check them out, patronize them. You know that your money is going to a good cause. Uh, again, I'm, I can't say it enough. I looked through some of the press releases on their website, and they're, uh, I mean, astounding, astounding amounts of money that they've given to a lot of these uh, organizations. And this is a barbecue place. This isn't like, you know, we're not dealing with, a uh, you know, I don't know, what an, an IBM or a Microsoft. I mean, this is a barbecue joint, right? Uh, albeit a very <laughs> successful and patriotic one. Um, just amazing. So go patronize them. It's not often that we find restaurants that are this open and I guess upfront and, and vociferous about their support of 
veterans and first responders and being this patriotic. So uh, check them out. Check them out. Get some ribs. Get some brisket. And uh, and then you know what? And then let us know how it is. Get back to us and let us know how it is. Because I'm going to head up there this week. I was, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll be up there once they're open. So, and again, um, man, we did a lot today, didn't we? Let me see here. Where are we? Oh, so the, uh, the poll question from last week. Let me jump into that. Let me, let me ratchet things back a little bit. So last week, I covered a story about Welco Enterprises. And those of you who know about Welco Enterprises, you've probably worn their boots at some point. Uh, five executives with Welco Enterprises were handed sentences for fraud and smuggling charges. Federal, right? Uh, they were convicted of selling $8 million worth of China-made boots to the U.S. military while claiming the boots were made in the U.S., one of the requirements for securing the contract. Uh, so the poll question was, overall, as long as a product is top quality and worth the money, does it matter to you where it was manufactured? Drum roll. I'm not going to do it because I can't do drum rolls. Uh, 100% said, yes, it matters. 100%. I didn't think it would be that high. I really didn't. But uh, I guess that shows people still care. So that's great news. So the new poll question this week is based on the conversation we had with our first guest, Carl Higby. Carl proposed, has proposed, or teed up, however you want to put it, modifying the GI Bill so that in lieu of providing educational benefits to a veteran, it would provide a monetary grant to start up a small business. And as you might have heard Carl say during the interview, 50000 was an arbitrary number. It could be, you know, whatever it is, whatever comes out in the wash, 50, 80, 100, whatever the, the number is, right? Um, so the poll question this week is, <clears throat> do you agree with that idea. Do you agree with modifying the GI Bill to provide a small business startup grant to veterans? Now, uh, as I said, and I've said multiple times on this show, I think, and it's probably getting old, but the GI Bill is one of the best investments out there. Um, Not just in the upfront monetary side of it, right? Again, the first time I went through, I invested $100 a month for 12 months. When I got out of the service the first time, uh, that GI Bill, I mean, that that paid for itself. That initial $1,200 investment, I got that back. Oh, geez, I'm trying to do the the math on this. I probably got that back in less than about two months. It's probably two months, right? Uh, Between uh, tuition costs and books and all the other stuff. Uh, And I ended up paying for my degree using the GI Bill. I got a bachelor's degree out of it. So it's a it's a tremendous benefit, but to Carl's point, to the point of the VA and the report that they released, um, a lot of people already have, by the time they get out of the service, maybe they went in with a degree or maybe they finished up a degree while they were in. You know, I served with plenty of enlisted folks who already had degrees. And I served with plenty of folks who finished their degree while on active duty. And so when they get out of the service, you know, <laughs> what... Uh, I mean, I get it. You know what? They're looking around saying, okay, well, that's cool. I, I did my thing. Now what? What, what? What's my big benefit, right? I already have, you know, I already have a bachelor's in history and I already have, you know, whatever, a master's in, I don't know, Renaissance 
languages or something. Um, so what do, what do they do? You know, and a lot of these folks do have that entrepreneurial spirit and they want to do something, right? So why, why put people at a disadvantage, right? So you're a vet, you already have your degree, you get out and now you're like everybody else, right? There's no advantage to it. So I think this is a great idea if they can get it off the ground. I mean, I, I would, you know, if I had to do it all over again, if somebody said to me, hey, once you get out, you're going to have the option of either using this for school or using it to start a business, right? And we'll cut you a check for, and again, pick a number, $80,000 in cash. You fall on your face, you fall on your face, it's done, right? But if you succeed, well, it's a different story, right? I would jump all over that. I would absolutely jump on that. And vets are starting businesses like crazy out there. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, and to Carl's point, which he brought up, uh, there are advantages to the taxpayer, right? Um, it certainly infuses, provided the vet, <clears throat> provided the veteran business is successful and takes off, it, it, it infuses cash back into the economy, which is helpful. You know, and you've got people out there paying payroll taxes and it helps employment and uh, you know, offers another product or service out there that doesn't currently exist. So yeah, good, good deal. I hope it gets off the ground. So again, we're going to, we're going to do an update on that, uh, down the road. Hopefully some kind of language is drafted in the meantime, but yeah, I mean, Hey, if you have a, if, if you have an interest in that, maybe reach out to Carl and just let him know, Hey, I, you know, he's on Twitter all the time. You can, Hit him up and say, hey, I heard about your GI Bill idea. I'm on board. Or contact a local legislator and say, hey, I heard about this this concept out there. Let's delve into it a little bit more. I think it's a great idea. Why not? And if fewer vets, if fewer and fewer vets are actually tapping in to that pool of money with the GI Bill, it's just sitting there, folks, sitting there, unused. You know, why not put it to good use? No, uh, I don't know. That's, uh, no, I think it's a great idea. So in other news this week, and we talked about this previously, <clears throat> uh, the, where is it, where is it? The three-judge panel of the Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with a federal judge in Maryland who last year threw out the lawsuits brought against KBR. This has to do with the burn pit lawsuits. Military vets who claim that the use of open burn pits during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan caused myriad health problems cannot move forward with dozens of lawsuits against a military contractor, according to the Federal Appeals Court. Uh, So to sum it up, there were 60 lawsuits against KBR, right, for dumping tires, batteries, medical waste, and other stuff into open burn pits. And it created harmful smoke that caused, they alleged in the lawsuits, that it caused neurological problems, cancers, and other health issues in more than 800 service members. The lawsuits were all, because they were filed in different districts around the country, right? So they got consolidated and also alleged that 12 service members died from illness caused by the burn pits. So they consolidated the lawsuits. One attorney went forward and teed this thing up and was shot down, appealed it to a federal appeals court. And that's what this story is about. The fourth... U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals basically agreed with the federal judge in Maryland and said, nope, you guys can't do this. Basically, what they're saying is that KBR was working at the behest of the military. 
right? It was the military that mandated the use of the burn pits. And it, it was a military policy. And that KBR was not in the position to make the call, right? They were contracted to do, I mean, in essence, what in real simple language, KBR had to do what the military told them to do. That was the contract. Now, Susan Burke, who's an attorney for the service members, and Susan's been, Susan's been leading the charge on this thing, argued that KBR repeatedly violated the terms of its contract with the military to handle waste disposal. She said KBR also disobeyed a military directive against burning hazardous materials. KBR's attorney told the court that the decision to use burn pits was made by the military, which also made decisions on where the burn pits would be located, what hours they would operate, and what would be burned. Now, as I understand it, and I don't want to, well, there is an option left. I think from a legal standpoint, this isn't the end of the end of the end. I think uh, there's a Hail Mary pass left on, with this thing, and they can go to the Supreme Court and say, hey, we think the, they can appeal it uh, or, or, I guess, refile it, tell the Supreme Court, hey, we think the appeals court was way off, and here's why. And they're going to have, basically, it's a one-shot deal, though. You go up to the Supreme Court, uh, they either kick it back down to the appeals court, and they say, hey, uh, we agree with this ruling, or they take it up and they make their own ruling, right? Um, so again, that's, that's one of those things that's going to take a while to unwind, but we will get an update on that. Uh, definitely tracking it. Um, hopefully, hopefully that Hail Mary pass uh, is employed and it works, but we'll see. I mean, this is, it's hard to fathom uh, on the one hand. Let me, let me play devil's advocate here so I get everybody's opinion in there. Um, <clears throat> on the one hand, I understand why the court would rule the way it did, right, from a legal standpoint, saying, you know, if we allow this to happen, if we allow this lawsuit to proceed, it opens Pandora's box. So anybody could sue the military for anything at that point, right? Uh, I used the example this week with a friend of mine, like, you're fast roping from a helicopter, and I, let's say something happens with, I don't know, maybe maybe you're using hooks underneath, maybe one of the skids gives way, right? And you fall five feet, right? You drop five feet off the rope, uh, shatter your knee, and now your military career's over and you're going to have to walk with a limp for the rest of your life. Well, who are you going to sue, right? You're going to sue, uh, I don't even know, whoever, Sikorsky or McDonnell Douglas, you're going to sue them? Huh? Yeah, I mean, you're going to sue the company that makes the rope, I mean, that's what this do- that's what this would allow, right? It would, in essence, allow that open door that, hey, anything that goes wrong, anything that goes askew, uh, you know, somebody somebody takes a round to their body armor and uh, whatever, I'm going to the extremes here. They take a round to the body armor. Maybe they don't die, but it it, it uh, maybe it breaks a breaks a bone or shatters a rib or something, and then they have chronic health problems with that rib for the rest of their life. Are they going to sue the the manufacturer of the body armor? Uh, you know, and again, these are silly examples, probably to the extreme, but that's what this would do. So I could see why the court might look at it that way, right? And say, well, geez, you know, KBR was, they were under the tutelage basically of of the U.S. military. Now, the other side of it, before everybody gets too irked with me, the other side of it is the veteran slash human slash common sense slash taxpayer component where I look at this and I go, you know, come on. 
these folks, you know, the troops that were affected by this were in the same position as KBR, right? They were put out there and being told, hey, you will go to these burn pits. You will burn this stuff. Uh, here's a surgical mask. It may or may not, um, you know, may, may or may not stave off some of the fumes, but here you go. You know, you, 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 and you, uh, Private Snuffy and his, and his three friends, guess what? You just got voluntold to go out and burn tires. Um, or, you know, medical waste or whatever it is. So I, I get you know, that side of me thinks, hey, somebody needs to step in and fix this, whether it's Congress or the president or wh- whoever, right? Step up to the plate and see if you can uh, offer some redress for the folks who are affected because it's way too many people that were affected for this to be uh, just sort of a, you know, frivolous, um, I don't know, frivolous exercise in, in uh, whatever legalities lawsuits so so there's that but again we'll we'll follow up with that uh this is not i don't think it's it's certainly not over by any means and uh there will be there will be more to come on that i don't know if you saw the story with the (laughs) the new yorker magazine the new yorker magazine which I, I didn't even know they were still in business. So they, um, uh, what was the lady's name? So New Yorker staffer Talia Lavin uh, wrote in a, well, uh, let me start. The New Yorker magazine has apologized to a combat-wounded Pasco County veteran about a tweet posted by one of its staffers. Over the weekend, this was last week, New Yorker staffer Talia Lavin wrote in a tweet that a tattoo on the left elbow of Justin Gartner looked like an iron cross. A post that the Federal Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency said, quote, essentially labeled him a Nazi. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, da, 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 da. In a, uh, so where are we? In a tweet Monday, ICE officials denied the veteran Gartner had any association with Nazis. It quotes Gartner, a Marine who lost both legs to an explosion in Afghanistan in 2011, saying the tattoo is not an Iron Cross, but a Titan II design, the symbol of his platoon. Gartner has been, <laughs> has been featured in news stories about a public-private program to investigate pedophiles called the Human Exploitation Rescue Operative Child Rescue Corps, or HERO. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, New Yorker staffer Talia Lavin. They have since apologized, I think, as I mentioned, um, for jumping to conclusions. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. I, I give them credit. At least they apologized. I, I guess that's, you know, that, that kind of mitigates it. It's not great, it's not perfect should have probably done some research or I don't know, called the guy and said, Hey, I'm a staffer with the New Yorker and I saw your cool tattoo. What is it? And he would have explained it. That would have been the end. No story, no tweet. I am getting increasingly frustrated with, with media in this country. It's man. One thing after, especially this week, especially this week, and I'm not going to get into it, but I don't know if you saw the, the kerfluffle about the uh, time magazine cover. If you haven't, dig into it because I'm not going to tee it up here, but the media need to do a better job 
of vetting and fact-checking and sourcing and verifying because it, it has become, it's gotten to the point, and this is because of social media, clearly, but it's gotten to the point where, where mainstream media is so quick to pull the trigger on anything in their quest to be first, right? To be, to be the ones that broke it. And then at least half the time, they're just flat out wrong. Just wrong. Where are, where are the executive editors? Where are the managing editors? Where are the desk editors and all this? I'm not talking just, you know, uh, goofy magazines like The New Yorker. There's Time Magazine, USA Today, CNN, even Fox, right? Uh, local newspapers, local news stations. It's it's insane. It has reached the point of insanity. And I think at some point, um, <clears throat> I mean, clearly they're they're losing people. I think they're going to implode, which I would not uh, I would not wholly be in disagreement with. And then lastly, because uh, we have a lot of we have, oh oh I meant to say there was a there was a thing today, and I I, I think it's on our. I think it's on the Veterans Report Facebook page. There was an image of troops, South Korean and U.S. troops, moving 100 caskets into the DMZ in anticipation of remains coming back from North Korea. That happened today. So check out that story. That's kind of exciting. Uh, Again, trust but verify. But um, yeah, that would be great if it happened. Uh, And then real quick, Wisconsin American Legion state historian resigns after stolen valor claims. That's also on the Facebook page. Uh, The historian for the Wisconsin American Legion resigned after lying about serving in Vietnam. Think that one through. And it gets even better. He even lied to his wife about his military service. (laughs) It's going to be a long, long week in Wisconsin. Um, But hey, yeah, we ran through the show pretty quick today. Uh, so again, check out our Facebook page, check out the Twitter feed, check out WTF nation radio and come back next week. And that does it for this episode of the veterans report until next time. I'm your host, Jim Cannon. You've been listening to the veterans report. Let others know about the show. You can find us online at theveteransreport.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to editor at theveteransreport.com. Join us again at the same time for up-to-date veterans news and information. The Veterans Report. Thank you for your service and carry on. The Veterans Report has been sponsored by James Cannon. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh weather. Partly cloudy, a scattered shower.